Every week, the Orange Fizz team breaks down the five most pressing questions about Syracuse athletics. Holy cow, what a big-time defensive play! No holds barred. I pity the fool. It's the Fizz Five. Five! Welcome back to another edition of Fizz 5 here on SoundCloud, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. So excited to be back with you guys. Along with Francesco Simone, I'm John Eads. Thanks so much for joining us. Francesco, a lot to get to in this episode today. Syracuse football going on the road to take on Clemson. We've got a couple of things to talk about within the football program, though. Is Aronde Gadsden the top player on this Syracuse football team? Will SU be shorthanded? Is Garrett Williams going to play? If not, who has to step up in his place? Of course, we're going to preview the top 15 matchup between SU and Clemson, the first between undefeated teams this late in the regular season down in Death Valley. Then we'll switch things up a little bit towards the end, get to the hardwood, talk about the ACC preseason poll, which per usual is not very high on Syracuse men's basketball. And we'll finish things off a little bit of lacrosse talk. I know it's October or rolling into, into November and everything's football, baseball, basketball right now, but there is some lacrosse news that could set the tempo for the spring. So let's dive right in Francesco with our first topic uh, featuring, or I guess surrounding Aronde Gadsden and his importance to this football team. Number one. All right, so Syracuse football, the offense, as you guys know, a lot better this year than it was last year under Robert and I. The passing game has really gotten going this season for Syracuse, and I'd argue the biggest reason why is the emergence of sophomore receiver Aronde Gadsden. You look at the stats, he's really commanding a lion's share of the opportunities. He's the one producing the most for this team. You could go as far to say it's Garrett Schrader that's really changed this offense, or maybe it's the offensive coordinators, Robert and I, but Francesco, I would argue, I know you would argue, you wrote a website, or you wrote an article, rather, for our website, The Orange Fizz. Uh, dot com, which you guys can find online um, about that. Aronde Gatson's this team's most important player and arguably their best player. Yeah, John, it, it's interesting to see how this passing game has evolved, not just from last year to this year, but really from the beginning of this year to where we are now in the middle of the season. You go back to the UConn game, the Louisville game, you had seven, eight, nine, even 10 guys catching a pass for this offense every single game. And now, and Dino Baber said at the time, you know, eventually we're going to find that one guy and he's going to become who we design our offense around. Well, that happened right around the Purdue game where Gadsden really broke out in his first 100-yard game, got the game-winning touchdown. Jeeds, I'm sure you remember it well. Uh, and then he, he kept it going. He kept that string of consistent games going. The only game he's had, not over 100 since Purdue, was Wagner because he didn't play long enough, right? Otherwise, I'm sure he would have gotten that without a problem. So he has become not just the go-to guy in this offense. He's become the only guy in this offense, John. He's got more receiving yards. Yeah, 507, second best in the ACC. That's more than Devon Cooper, Courtney Jackson, and Damian Alford combined. Combined, all three of them put together. They have less receiving yards than Ronde Gadsden does this season. And it's not a surprise, John, if you just watch them play. Gadsden's long. He's tall. He's physical. 6'5", 215. He's athletic. He's a really good route runner. Just watch how he runs at the apex of his routes. He does this a lot where he'll run right up the seam out of the slot. He'll fake outside. He'll go inside on a post. He'll fake a post inside. He'll go on a deep out, a deep out route. He does it so often, and he's the only guy who can do it. Because when you got Courtney Jackson, Damian Alford, Devon Cooper, even a guy like Trevor Pena lined up one-on-one -on -one against any kind of corner at the FBS level, Wagner notwithstanding, they can't get open. Not just, you know, you know they got him bracketed. They got him playing zone coverage. They can't get open like that. One-on-one -on -one coverage against Division One FBS corners. Nobody else can get open except for Ronde Gadsden. And that almost cost Syracuse a couple of wins. You think about Virginia, you think about Purdue. Of course, SU pulled those games out. Big reason why was Ronde Gadsden. He went off in those games for over a century mark in receiving yards. But there really hasn't been a wide receiver, too. I mean, uh, other than an occasional catch from Damian Alford for 30 or so yards every game, which he just pulls out of nowhere. Um, Courtney Jackson's not producing. Sean Tucker is, you know, kind of been that wide receiver too, I guess, from a running back perspective. And Devon Cooper every now and then is chipping in too. But a lot of his production has come against some of the worst teams Syracuse has played this year. You know, the Yukons and uh, the Wagners and whatnot. You just think about this last game, NC State. Here's the box score. Aronde Gadsden, eight catches, 141 yards, two touchdowns. Just another day for the NFL legacy. Other than that, you had Sean Tucker with four catches for 14 yards, mostly on checkdowns and out of the backfield stuff. Then Alford had that late catch, which was a crucial catch for sure to clinch the game for 34 yards. But 
this is a guy who we were really high on here at the Fizz in the offseason. He was a top 10 most important player. He's a, a plus athlete. He's as tall, as big, as lanky as Gadsden is, but he really hasn't put that into football usage, if you will. Um, and then Devon Cooper just had two catches for 13 yards. Um, and I already mentioned Courtney Jackson. He had no catches for no yards. And he was SU's wide receiver one last year. So his regression's just been really frightening, honestly. Um, so I don't think it's it's very far-fetched to say that Gadsden definitely is this team's most important player because if he doesn't play, if he's not having this breakout season, I'm not sure that Syracuse beats NC State. I'm not I'm not sure that Syracuse beats Purdue, obviously, because he had the game-winning catch. I'm not even sure they beat Virginia. So this could be a completely different Syracuse team we're talking about. Yeah, Garrett Schrader's been a lot better. Sean Tucker's doing his thing, albeit at a lesser rate than last year and the year before and whatnot. Uh, but OG stepping up as a sophomore and just really taking control, taking over the scene has meant the difference for this team. So I absolutely agree with your take that he's the most important player on the squad. You talk about traits, right, John? And I, I mentioned it. Aronde Gadsden is a prototypical receiver. He's big. He's fast. He's strong. He's athletic. He's a good route runner. And you want to, you want to talk about Dino Babers raving about guys' traits. He is in love with Aronde Gadsden's hands. After the, after the NC State game, Gadsden dropped the ball early on in the game. Dino said, I knew after that drop, he was never going to drop another one. As in this game, in this game specifically. That's a lot to say about a guy who had two catches for 24 yards last year. That's the kind of improvement he's made or the type of idiot that Sterling Gilbert was. I didn't see this a year ago. <laughs> yeah, but to go was. from that to this, right? To go from an afterthought, yes, a true freshman, I understand, but an afterthought to being the only guy in this receiving core who can do anything. You talk about a wide receiver, too. There are some traits out there. We mentioned the traits that Gadsden has. Alford's got really good size, right? Devon Cooper, I think, is a decent route runner. Trevor Payne is really fast. Courtney Jackson, I think, is also a, a decent route runner, but he doesn't have any kind of blazing speed. They all have something, but none of them have even close to everything the way that Gadsden has. Let me ask you this question, John. Where's Anthony Queeley? Where's he been? That's a great question. He was I have wide no receiver idea. two last year. Yeah. He, he was he's... wide receiver two last year. He's Two. been a guy. Yeah, I don't know. He's he's completely disappeared. I tweeted this during the game last week. Again, at Orange Fizz on Twitter, Francesco. Um, well, you know that, but everybody else out there. I do know that. Yeah, <laughs> I tweeted this during the game. Anthony Queeley came in for a snap when the game was still close and it was hanging in the balance. Anybody could win. I was like, what the hell is he doing in there? Because this guy has completely disappeared. You know, he was a starter for this team in 2020. He saw a lot of time last year. He had a couple of big catches in that Pittsburgh game, the season finale. And I'm not sure what he did in 2019, probably just auxiliary stuff as a, as a youngin. But um, he's just really regressed. I don't really understand why, because I always thought he was a pretty solid receiver. Not great, obviously, but he is just, I don't know what's going on with him. I feel like he should transfer at some point, maybe. He's the only guy I feel like, maybe besides Gadsden, but even including Gadsden, who's got the speed to take the top off of defense. Anthony Quigley, you make him run in a straight line, he's fast. Like took him, I think he's got four four speed, John. I really do. I think he is a fast receiver. The yeah. problem is he's not a great route runner. He's had hands questions in the past. He had some drops last year. Although part of that was because Garrett Trader never put it on anybody's chest last year. That you know, that's also another element of it. But it, it, he's not a complete receiver by any stretch. But you're telling me for an offense who doesn't have anybody who can take the top off of defense again, except for Gadsden, but he does a lot of that out of the slot, right? If he was playing outside, would he be able to do that same kind of explosive playability not sure but Queenly can't right we've seen him do that before the fact that he's not even a consideration makes you wonder okay well what's going on there because it doesn't make any sense to me I also wonder why not or how I guess having Isaiah Jones that walk-on receiver who had a touchdown catch against Purdue he's a tall guy on the outside who SU was using as a downfield threat we haven't seen him since that Purdue game if I'm not mistaken um, how his absence is affecting this offense because yeah you got Gadsden but who else do you have Devon Cooper's a slot receiver Courtney Jackson I hate to say it they're trying to work him on the outside but he's a slot receiver that's why he had so much success last year was between the hashes Damian Alford has the physical capabilities to be that guy but he's not using his physical capabilities on the football field and putting up the stats that you would expect him to put up. So it's OG or it's nothing, I feel like, for this passing game. And that could be trouble because you've got a Clemson team coming up who's top three in defense. You've got a lot of great defenses down the line with great defensive coordinators, great head coaches. They know how to shut down one receiver. You can't predicate your whole passing offense on one guy. And we've seen what this offense looks like when it's just running the football. Sean Tucker, Garrett Schrader. 
and that team went five and seven last year. So this could be trouble going forward. Maybe not so concerning right now. Maybe not so concerning in the first half of the season because let's face it, SU is playing some of the weaker teams they'll play this year. But as you get down to the stretch, November, December, where we know Dino Babers has really struggled as a Syracuse head coach, there's going to be some issues. I'm glad you mentioned Courtney Jackson playing on the outside. The two picks that Garrett Schrader threw against NC State, both of them were terrible throws, right? Yes, fair. But the one to Courtney Jackson deep down the far sideline, that really st- stood out to me because Jackson one-on-one on the outside, he got no separation, John. The corner was on him like a blanket on a baby. You can't have better coverage. Was it a terrible throw too far to the inside, underthrown, yada, yada, yada? Yes. If that was a perfect throw, the best case scenario is it gets battered away. Yeah. Under no circumstances is Courtney Jackson making that catch because he cannot beat, going back to our original point, he and anybody besides Aronde Gadsden cannot beat a Division I Power 5 corner one-on-one in any situation. I don't care what route he's running on a consistent level over the course of a game. He, nor can anyone else except for Gadsden, beat single coverage. And when that's the case, it's easy to play defense, at least easy conceptually to play defense. You bracket Gadsden, who's going to be coming out of the slot more times than not, and you put seven, eight guys in the box to stop, to stop Sean Tucker. We talked about, oh, Tucker, you know, is his average yards per carrier down against FBS opponents except for against NC State where he kind of broke out a little bit. That's because the boxes are stacked, man. When you've got seven, eight guys in the box, it's math, John, at the end of the day. If you've got six guys, six guys blocking seven, it's hard to get four or five yards to carry. And that's the way defenses have been playing against this Syracuse offense. Now, not everybody's got the talent to play that way against you, right? Because you can double Aronde Gadsden, but if you've got two not great defensive backs doing it, he's still going to get his, he's still going to get his, right? You've got seven, eight guys in the box playing against John Tucker. Yes, there's math, a math element to it, but if it's not seven, eight guys who are of quality, he's going to break one every now and then, which he did against NC State. But you go face Clemson. Yes, Clemson's defense, and we'll get to it later, hasn't been great this year, has had dealt with some injuries, but they've got athletes all over the field, better athletes than Syracuse has. So when you give them the template, okay, we're going to bracket Aronde Gadsden. I know no other receiver is going to beat me one-on-one. We're going to stock, stack the box to stop Sean Tucker. That's gonna that's got a much bigger chance of working out when you're Clemson versus when you're Virginia. John Eats, Francesco Simone with you on Fizz Five. You can catch full episodes of previous Fizz Fives and future episodes on our SoundCloud at Orange Fizz and theorangefizz.com, our website. Uh, we're talking about Aronde Gadsden. Is he the most important player for the Syracuse team? Francesco and I are both in agreement that he is. I think a lot of you out there could agree with that. Before we move on and get closer to that Clemson preview, Francesco, I can tell how excited you are. I'm excited to get into that as well. The game plan, the X's and O's, everything surrounding that matchup. I'm looking back at Syracuse's draft picks in recent years. They haven't had a wide receiver taken in the draft. No, Tristan Jackson was you know, uh, unrestricted free agent. He was picked up in the, uh, after the draft a couple years ago, they haven't had a wide receiver drafted since 2010, Mike Williams, uh, who went in the fourth round, 101st pick overall. I want to know from you, and I'll give you my take as well. Does Aronde gets to get drafted one whenever he's available to go probably next year. And does he go round four sooner? It comes back to the traits, right? We've been talking about it the entire podcast. He has NFL traits. Size, speed, athleticism, route running. He's got those. He's got the NFL pedigree, obviously, with his dad, played for the Dolphins for a long time. So he's got all the physical tools you need. The thing that I would like to see from an NFL perspective, and I think a lot of scouts would agree with me here, I want to see him do it on the outside. Because he's 6'5", 215. That is a prototypical outside receiver, right? And playing on the outside is a lot different than playing in the slot for a multitude of reasons. One, there's less space on the outside to go against the corner, right? It's a lot harder to get open on the boundary when there's only so many places you can go versus in the slot where you can go right, you can go left, you can go up, you can go to the side, whatever the case may be. Also on the outside, you're playing against the top boundary corners the other team has, the top boundary corners in the ACC. There's a reason guys play in the slot. They're either undersized. Sometimes in college, there are younger guys who are very talented, but kind of raw, whatever the case may be. You're not going against the top guys out of the slot. It's going to be curious to see whether Gadsden becomes that guy. And it's not his fault that he's being played out of the slot. That's just kind of the way, this, this, the way the Syracuse offense has been operating under Robert and I so far. It's going to be interesting to see if, as, the year, as this year goes along, as next year progresses, maybe the year after that, depending on what Gadsden decides to do, if they give 
give him the opportunity to play on the outside. And that's going to determine whether, okay, he's got the physical tools. I'm going to take a chance on him in the fourth, fifth round versus he's got the physical tools. I've now seen him do it against the best of the best in the environment he's going to be doing it in, in, the, uh, in the NFL. That's what's going to determine how high he goes. That's my take. Yes, he gets drafted. How high he goes depends on what he can be as an outside receiver. I think that's a great point because you don't typically see NFL teams deploy six foot five dudes in the slot. I mean, they do, and I'm sure they can, but it's not very often. So I'd agree with that. I'm just not sure if it's going to happen because it seems like that's his role. And that's where Robert and I thinks he fits the most in his offense, whether it be from a schematic perspective, a matchup perspective, because in the slot, you typically get the nickel back matchup, or sometimes maybe teams would get risky and put your, put their top corner, maybe their top safety on you. Um, perhaps there is a role for him in the future. If Syracuse finds another player that they can put in the slot, like, I mean, they have it. Courtney Jackson can play there. Devon Cooper can play there. The, the problem is, does that then affect how Aronde plays in this offense? And then does your offense tank because he's not getting the routes, he's not getting to the spots, and Syracuse isn't completing the passes that's accustomed to completing with Aronde because they can trust him, they know he's going to make the plays. But, you know, he did show in that NC State game he can go up and catch some jump balls, and that's certainly a trait that outside receivers need to have. Remember that jump ball catch he had? I think it was in the third quarter where Schrader just lofted up. It was right before that Courtney Jackson interception, actually. That's an NFL catch. I mean, there's a scout sitting right in front of me in the press box, and uh, I could see him taking notice of that play. And I know he was there to watch Garrett Schrader and Garrett Williams, but, I mean, you know, keep your eyes on Aronde for the next couple of years. I also think he gets drafted. Um, like you said, I, I got to see if he can produce more on the outside to see if that's a round four or above pick at wide receiver. But I certainly think with the pedigree he has, the bloodline he has, he could certainly uh, do better than what Mike Williams did when he was taken in the early fourth round back in 2010. That'll do it for our first topic, though. Let's get into topic number two and talk about the guys that will be covering Aronde Gadsden in practice this week and have been covering him throughout the offseason. Let's talk about SU's DBs for topic number two. Number two. All right, so Syracuse shorthanded again last week and even more so because Garrett Williams went down with an injury after a big hit in the second quarter. It was in the first half, I believe second quarter. Um, he didn't play in the second half at all. He was in street clothes on the sideline cheering on his teammates. We haven't heard anything about whether he's going to play this week or not. He was listed in the depth chart, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and underneath his name, it wasn't like one of those Garrett Williams or X. It was Garrett Williams, cornerback one, and then whoever's cornerback two was cornerback two. Who might be cornerback two or one this weekend is Isaiah Johnson uh, for this Syracuse defense. I had a chance to speak with him following Syracuse's win over NC State. But, Francesco, my question to you is, how much different, how impacted is the Syracuse secondary and the Syracuse defense as a whole if G. Will can't go on Saturday? I mean, we're talking about an NFL guy, John, right? So it's impossible to say as good as Isaiah Johnson played, as good as you and I both think Isaiah Johnson played against NC State. When you lose an NFL caliber player, not just an NFL caliber player, we're talking about Mike Williams, right? He was a whatever round pick he was. No, Garrett Williams is a top two, worst case scenario, top three round pick in the NFL draft. This guy is a pro and not a borderline pro either. He is an absolute stud at the cornerback position. Whenever you lose a guy like that, it's impossible not to take a step back because, okay, you lose a mid game against a quarterback in Jack Chambers, who is a 25 year old walk on from Charleston Southern. No offense to Jack Chambers. He's a great guy, right? It's not DJ Uyunglele, right. and it's not this Clemson receiving core, right? So you're taking a big step up in competition with a week for a great coaching staff to prepare for you. You don't think they're going to uh, Clemson's coaching staff and DJ Uyunglele are saying, oh, if Isaiah Johnson's playing, we're going right after number 20. We're staying away from Deuce. We're going after 20. You don't think they're saying that? Of course they are, because they have the time to prepare for it, and they have the talent to take advantage of it, unlike NC State. Hey, don't sleep on Johnson, though. I mean, I'll tell you a little bit about this guy, and there's a whole article I wrote about his journey from Dartmouth to Syracuse. It's on our website at orangefizz.net. It's, it's going to become theorangefizz.com eventually. We're still working on that URL on the website, but you guys can find it on there. Um, a player that was really under-recruited out of Detroit Country Day, a school I'm familiar with, a rival high school of mine, actually, when I played uh, a couple years ago. Um, committed to Dartmouth, no-star recruit. 
uh, injured in 2019 when he was going to be a starter and he started a couple of games. Then COVID happened. Of course, the Ivy League didn't play at all. Then he's a first-team All-Ivy League player last year, and he enters the transfer portal. Tony White plays a massive role in getting him here. He had a career high, uh, well, an SU career high, I guess, five tackles against NC State. I thought he looked good. He was flying around. He had great energy. So if Garrett Williams can't go, I think Syracuse will be fine, but this defense is certainly going to be impacted. And like you said, it's a great point. Clemson's going to attack. Isaiah Johnson. Deuce Chestnut hasn't really been tested much this year. He hasn't really been given the chance to put up gaudy numbers and make some crazy plays. He had a pick six against Wagner, but other than that, hasn't done a whole lot. And let's not forget the last time Syracuse went to Death Valley, Garrett Williams had a pick six against Trevor Lawrence, and I think that was the only time that uh, the now Jacksonville Jaguars quarterback was ever housed on an interception. So Syracuse certainly needs Garrett Williams in this game. I might go as far to say that if he doesn't play SU doesn't win this game, and they don't even cover the two-touchdown spread. Of course, we're going to get into that preview a little bit going forward. Um, but, Francesco, I mean, what else do you have to say about Garrett Williams and how he impacts his team? Yeah, I mean, it's a huge impact. I actually want to touch on Isaiah Johnson a little bit, John, because I know, I know you're big on him, not just because he's a Michigan guy, all right? I know, <laughs> I know you think he actually played well. 6'3", I mean, this is, a, this is a big guy. This is a big physical athlete. You're not just putting anybody out there. This guy has some talent. I think he played really well against NC State. He had that one pass interference call at the very end of the game that I thought was an awful call. I thought, I thought he knocked that ball down clean. That should not have been called a penalty. It was, didn't end up mattering anyway. But there are ways to mitigate it, right? You don't, if you play less one-on-one coverage, you play less man coverage, you put Isaiah Johnson back in zone. It's not as big of an impact as if you decide to play man coverage. Because Garrett Williams, it, from a man coverage standpoint, from a talent standpoint, is obviously better than Isaiah Johnson. You got an NFL guy against a guy who used to play for Dartmouth, right? There is a talent disparity there as good as we both think Isaiah Johnson is there. So there are ways to mitigate against it. But like you said, it's, you don't want to have to do that because then you have to compromise something else, whether it's compromising Deuce Chestnut or whatever the case may be, or the safeties or the, or having to play less guys in the box, whatever that case may be. Whenever you're compromised in any way against Clemson, against the number five team in the country, against a team that's already got more talent than you, it's going to be a massive setback. Even, even if it ends up not being massive in a vacuum, the impact that it then has on the rest of the defense just makes it exponentially bigger. And you have to think that if Garrett Williams can go, even if he's at 70%, He's going to go because this is the biggest game of the year for Syracuse. It's a great chance for him to spotlight himself. And maybe he's on the fringe of being a round four pick right now. If he plays and he plays well, there's going to be a lot of scouts at this game. Then he could really vault himself up into the top three rounds, you would think. Um, but I just think this, this defense is still the best defense in the ACC. And this Isaiah Johnson, Garrett Williams situation is kind of a microcosm of what's been the theme the entire season. One man down, another man steps up, and the mob defense just continues to roll. And I think that has a lot to do with Tony White. I've said this a couple of times the past few weeks in the Fizz 5 postgame space that we have on our Twitter at Orange Fizz. He might be the most underrated defensive coordinator in the country. And if Syracuse doesn't pay him this offseason, he's going to be going. Um, I I'm curious to see in the second half, though, if this is going to catch up to Syracuse at some point, all these backups, all these inexperienced players coming in. Sure. You can scheme up. You can get ready to go against a team like NC state who without Devin Leary was one dimensional, a team like Virginia, who's just not the same without Robert and I, a squad like Louisville who was breaking in some new players at receiver and just didn't look like itself in game one. I'm curious to see against the teams that are well coached Clemson, Wake Forest, Pittsburgh, uh, you know, go, the list goes on and on in the second half, Notre Dame, even, I guess you could say, if this defense can continue to produce, and if at some point these injuries, this inexperience is going to catch up to the orange defense. Yeah, John, number one pass defense, number one rush defense, number one total defense, number one scoring defense, all in the ACC. And you can't, you can't ask for anything better than that. Now you can say, well, the competition hasn't been up to par. You play who you, who's put against you and who's they've been put against, who they've been put against. They've shut down. Invariably, they've shut them down. But you are correct when you say that, what are they going to do now against Clemson? My question is, how are they going to travel with all these young guys? Because when you lose experienced players, that means the guys who have to step up are the Leon Lowry's of the world, are the Derek McDonald's of the world, are the Anwar Sparrow's of the world, are the Kayvon Darton's, the Elijah Fuentes Condips of the world. Younger guys who have less experience, they're, not only do they have less experience, they haven't played in hostile environments like Death Valley. They haven't gone to pit. They haven't played important important snaps against Wake Forest in Winston-Salem. They haven't done that yet. And some people may think, well, it's not that big of a deal. It's a huge deal. Are you kidding me? 
when you have to travel as a defense, especially as a defense that's, that's lacking star players who are veterans, who are experienced, it's going to expose you even more. The communication gets harder. You're playing in a hostile environment. You got to control your emotions. The other team's going crazy. The crowd's going crazy. You can't hear the other, you can't hear the other quarterback snap count, whatever the case may be. It's so much more difficult for you to play on the road as a defense just because of everything that goes around it. And when you have backups in, it just exasperates that even more. And to make it even a bigger problem, now when you're playing with stringers who are now starters, that means you're one bullet away from going to the third stringers and two bullets away from going to the four stringers. So especially at defensive tackle now, when they lost Terry Lockett, now you're on Kayvon Darton and Elijah Fuentes-Cundiff. I can't even tell you who's the third string defensive tackle right now. When, when you get thinner and thinner and thinner, it just makes you that much more exposed. And it's, it almost feels like when's the other shoe going to drop? You're right about that. That's how long can they keep this together? So far, so good. But, eh, you know, when's, it, when's, when's this all going to end? When's the fairy tale going to end? Uh, Francesco, that third string defensive tackle could be you or it could be me. I mean, Dino Babers might send in an emergency call and get one of us down there ASAP because they don't really have anybody. If it's between you, if it's between you and me, it's definitely you. A thousand percent. Oh, One million percent. I don't want to go in the trenches against those dudes. Now keep me, keep me in the backfield or something. Oh goodness. Uh, I'm curious to see how Syracuse will travel, how that offense will travel and the defense will travel. SU Clemson going down this weekend, top 15 battle down in Death Valley. So that's a little bit about Garrett Williams, his situation and Isaiah Johnson. That's going to have massive implications on this game coming up on Saturday. And you know what? We're done teasing you. Coming up after this with our third topic, we're giving we're giving you everything you need to know about this matchup between SU and Clemson. The biggest for Syracuse on the road in a long time. I think they haven't played an undefeated team since Penn State in 1959, if I read that correctly. I was alive for that game. It was a great one. But anyways, we're going to dive into this matchup right now. Let's do it. Number three. All right, number 14, Syracuse on the road against number five, Clemson. You know, I got to say, Francesco, it's kind of it's been a fun season. I mean, every single week, minus, I guess, UConn and Wagner, you don't really know how the game's going to play out for SU. You, you walk up to the Carrier Dome, you sit down on your couch once to watch the game on television, I guess in our cases, uh, for fans out there, maybe every game, or they're in the Dome. I mean, everybody was there last game against NC State. You have no idea how the game's going to go. This season, I know the odds makers had Syracuse winning maybe four, five, six games, but you can't fault them that much because if the ball bounces a different way in a couple of these games, Virginia, Purdue, um, they, they destroyed Louisville and UConn and whatnot. NC State even was kind of close and at points in that game, it could have gone either way. S2 could easily be three and three, four and two, even two and four right now. Uh, it's just been really fun to follow. And this weekend's game is similar. You think of the history between Syracuse and Clemson, Everybody thinks that Clemson is just going to walk in and route Syracuse. The Orange get zero respect. Think back to 2018 when SU almost won against the Tigers. They only lost by four. And that was the team that went 10-3. and three. The spread for this game, I looked it up today, was 24 points in 2018. And that was the best team that SU's had in the last decade, at least. This team just doesn't get any respect. And I think it's going to burn a lot of people this weekend because the Orange just always play Clemson tough. And you and I and Syracuse fans around the nation – have the luxury of knowing that. But this weekend, the nation's going to figure that out for real. Even in 2020, right, John? The year that Syracuse is absolutely abysmal. When they went 1-10, and 10, the sky was falling. Everybody got hurt. Everybody left. Whatever the case may be. Syracuse was within a touchdown of Clemson late in the third quarter. Yeah. They had a chance to win that game. Then Clemson, you know, Trevor Lawrence and company pulled away in the fourth. But the fact that that Syracuse team, right, the terrible one, the one that everybody wants to forget, was in a dogfight with Clemson for 45 minutes it says a lot it says a lot about the program you know Dino knows Dabble I don't know if mm -hmm. you've heard about that but Dino plays Dabble really well I don't know what it is if it, if it is a Dino Babers factor but that's true you're right Syracuse plays Clemson tough no matter where the game is really no matter what the situation is and one more note on the historical perspective we're going to get into this year's matchup because what happened in 2018 2017 it doesn't really matter because there's not many players on those teams still on the squads for both, obviously, there's exceptions. But Francesco, you wrote an article today uh, about Syracuse's history against top ten teams. That's the situation the Orange are in right now against number five Clemson. Um, and on the road is an added difficulty. It's only the second time all season Syracuse is going on the road. So, from my understanding, from what you've written, the Orange haven't been very good under Dino Babers against these elite teams. No, and it, it shouldn't come as a surprise, right? Because in in five of the six seasons before this year that Syracuse has you know been under Dino Babers, they haven't made a bowl game. So if you're a bad team, when you go up against a top 10 team, whether at home or on the road, doesn't really matter. You're probably going to get blown out, right? That makes sense. 
The only win that they've had against a top 10 opponent was 2017 against Clemson, which is probably the biggest win of the Dino Babers tenure. It was a home game. It kind of put the program back on the map. It was prime time, this, that, and the other thing. Then the week after that, they go on the road at number eight at the time, Miami. I imagine that Miami in the top 10. I know, right? Crazy to believe. But they lose that game. They lose out the rest of the season, finish four and eight. And then in 2018, the best team that Dino's ever had, you play Clemson tough, you lose by three. That was the, the Trevor Lawrence debut. The Chase Bryce came in after Lawrence got hurt. Kelly Bryant had already transferred. It was a whole debacle. And Chase Bryce leads a comeback, brings Clemson back. They win the game late. And then after that, the other top 10 matchup they played in 2018 was a Notre Dame game. The 36-3 game at Yankee Stadium that no Syracuse fan ever wants to remember. That was when they were ranked 12th. Notre Dame was third. That's the highest ranking Dino Babers has ever gotten as the head coach of Syracuse. Now I've approached it here, number 14, and with a win on Saturday, I just can eclipse that. But that's kind of, I don't know if that's the feeling, the bitter feeling, Dino. I wonder if he does think about that game because it was kind of the apex of his coaching tenure here and a little bit of a chance to avenge it here. That's how I see this game as, you know, that in 2018, you had that chance to really stamp your mark, right? And you missed it. Now you get it again. Let's see what they do with it this time. Yeah, great opportunity to do just that. And every time they've gone to Death Valley under Dino Babers, they've been very competitive, especially in that season where they were just god-awful in 2020. That game was close. I I reckon it's going to be the same way this weekend, just with the fact that both of these teams have top three defenses in the ACC. They're actually three and four as well in offense in the ACC. So it figures to be a great game. Vegas doesn't think so. They've got this at a 13-and-a-half-point spread in Clemson's favor. I think that's just easy money if you put down on Syracuse there uh, because the Orange always play Clemson tough. The past couple of meetings, even last year, was 17-14, could have gone either way. Um, but I think it's going to be different this year, Francesco. I think there might be a little bit more offense, and Syracuse is in a much better position to beat this team because Brett Venables is gone. He's the head coach at Oklahoma, was the former D.C. at Clemson. And Syracuse, we've already talked about it so much, Aronde Gadsden's emergence. Garrett Schrader's a lot better. They still got Sean Tucker in the backfield. I think this is the Syracuse team that's in the best position to beat Clemson. I know they upset them in 2017, but you got to think of some of the things like, you know, Kelly Bryant played a quarterback in that game. And it was just kind of a fluke game that SU won. You got to give them all the credit. But this is the best Syracuse team that I think Dino Babers has had. And that's why I think this is the, I mean, this is the year. I think that if they're going to go to Death Valley and snap this lengthy 38 game home winning streak Clemson has, it's this year. Yeah, no, I definitely agree. This is the best Syracuse team that Dino Babers has had, including that 2018, definitely from a talent standpoint. And Clemson, listen, is a little bit vulnerable. This is not the Trevor Lawrence freshman, sophomore year Clemson teams that just roll through the ACC. It was really, you know, who are we going to play on January 1st? And then who are we going to play on January 11th or whatever the case may be? They win 30 to 20 against NC State, a, a team that, listen, they had Devin Leary in that game, but you know, they come to the dome without Devin Leary and they get blown out by Syracuse. They go to Florida State, they have a 20 point lead, almost blow it, only end up winning 34 to 28. Wake Forest takes them to overtime in a, in a shootout, unlike you'll ever see again in college football. I actually I heard the, uh, I heard the Clemson, one of the Clemson beat reporters call it the worst defensive display he's ever seen in his life, which I think says a whole lot about where this Clemson defense was at the beginning of the season and how far it's come to actually yeah. get a little bit better from that. But this is not an unbelievably dominant Clemson team that you go in there and think, okay, we got no chance against them. Now, that being said, the athletes that they have, it's an impressive list of guys, right? You talk about DJ Uyunglele. He's had a fantastic season, 17 touchdowns, two interceptions, at the quarterback position, lost 20 to 30 pounds from last season, mm-hmm. has become more mobile itself than throwing the football as well. That's just one part of the offense. Will Shipley has had an unbelievable season. He was a top five, top 10 recruit overall, whatever it was. He didn't do a whole lot last year. Clemson as a team didn't do a whole lot explosively last year either. But this season, I mean, he's, he's averaging 5.9 yards per carry. You can make an excellent case that Will Shipley has been better than Sean Tucker has been this season which I don't think a whole lot of people would have predicted that before the season. And then you look at their defense. I mean, first-round picks up the wazoo on, on this Clemson defense, as they really seem to always have, whether it's a guy like Trenton Simpson or a guy like Brian Brzee, who's gone through so much tragedy in his life this season with the loss of his sister to brain cancer. Yeah. But that's not it. You got Miles Murphy, Xavier Thomas off the edge. Also, don't forget about K.J. Henry. Those are all NFL guys. You got Tyler Davis, who I've heard uh, be described as a bigger and quicker Grady Jarrett on the inside. Mm. These, these are outstanding high four, five-star athletes that Syracuse doesn't have. Now, that's not everything. 
right? You don't need to have the best athletes to win a football game, but John, it certainly helps. And Clemson still has that advantage. They've always had the talent advantage. They've always, I would say, had the athlete advantage. But what I think Syracuse may have in some respects this year is the schematic advantage. I think this game boils down to a couple different things. The first is what can Syracuse's defense do against Clemson in the red zone? Because the Tigers are the top red zone offense in the ACC. They're probably, they have to be number one because they're 35 for 35 in the red zone. They've scored on every opportunity they've had inside the 20. Conversely, Syracuse is one of the best red zone defense. I'll pull the number up super quick here um, if I can get it. They, they were number one at one point. I believe they should still be up towards the top. They're two now. So Louisville's ahead of them. SU's only allowed 12 red zone trips the entire season, which is nuts. And this was really a big key in that win over NC State because the Wolfpack got inside the 20 three different times at least. They kicked three field goals. If Syracuse can do that to Clemson, they stand a really good chance. They can turn them over on downs. They can get an interception in the red zone. They really stand a chance in this game. And yeah, DJU's been really good this year. Not like out of this world crazy. He's still like, you know, around fourth, fifth in most quarterback categories. But that's good enough. I think people are just sick of him you know, stealing the spotlight, kind of like LeBron James. He's all over the place. He's in every headline, but he's not really like an elite type player. But that's because his receivers individually aren't that great. I mean, Joseph Ngata is solid. Bo Collins is solid, but they're not like, you know, Mike Williams, um, DeAndre Hopkins type guys for Clemson where they spearhead, uh, you know, the targets and everybody fears them in the ACC. They got a good tight end. Jake Brinningstool, I believe his name is. He's a matchup problem in the red zone too. I think that also ties in. That's the second thing that I'm looking at in this game. How can Syracuse's defense, especially the secondary, match up with this passing game? Because, yeah, Shipley's good, and Carl Mofor is good as well in that running back spot, and DJ can run it as well. But this Syracuse defense has handled most teams this year in their rushing approach, albeit those offensive lines and those defensive lines may not be as good as the one that Syracuse will see this weekend in Clemson. But they've found ways to turn offenses one-dimensional. So if Garrett Williams plays, and Deuce Chestnut, of course, plays, and they play their A game, they bring their best stuff down to Death Valley, and they could slow down these receivers and force Clemson to do some crap they did last year, like the fake punts, the, the lobs on those fake punts, convert on fourth downs, get some crazy type plays. They really stand a chance in this game. So, again, what this boils down to in my eyes is red zone and matchups against those wide receivers. Do you agree with those, and do you have any others to add on there, Francesco? Yeah, one more. A hundred percent. I agree with you, John. One more that I'd like to throw out there is it's an evergreen one, right? The battle in the trenches. Clemson is big. Clemson's physical. Syracuse is not right. Especially on the, on the defensive side. There was a stat last week against NC state. The Wolfpack averaged six, four, three fifteen on the offensive line on the defensive line. Syracuse averaged six, three, two fifty. They still right? handle business though. And they handle business hundred percent. They did, but you're going to face that again with Clemson, right? You're going to face big nasty the offensive lineman we're going to push you around we're going to get who should should get three four yards of push on every play if you're just playing again the math right but it doesn't always work that way because Syracuse has the quickness advantage whether it's with an offensive lineman the advantage of having Kayvon Darton in the middle at 265 270 pounds whatever he may be is that against a 330 pound guard Kayvon Darton's going to be a lot faster right? He can, no pun intended, dart through a gap, get in the backfield and make a tackle, which he's done a lot this season. Michael Jones, the thing that's holding him back from being a first round pick in the NFL draft is that he's 225 pounds. If he was 250, he'd be a top 20 pick, but he's not. So he's going to be a fourth round, whatever, right? But in this game, if you're quicker than a guard, you can shoot a gap. You can get Will Shipley down to the ground. Will Shipley's not a big guy, fast, quick, whatever, not a big guy. You can get him down. Leon Lowry, I think he's also very quick and athletic. Derek McDonald, same kind of idea that he brings safeties down in the box as well. The question I have, and Syracuse answered this question against NC State, but it's a step up from NC State to Clemson. Can you do that again? Can you use that quickness on the defensive front to not let the bullies on the Clemson offensive line push you around? That's the biggest thing for me. Same thing on the flip side of the ball, right? Clemson's got outstanding defensive front players. I mentioned the names a little bit before Syracuse's offensive line has been good for the most part, especially in pass protection. I would say maybe not so much in the run, but there's the whole question of is Sean Tucker hitting the right holes? How many guys in the box are defense is playing against math again, right? Mm -hmm. Can that offensive line hold up in pass protection? Can they get enough of a push in the running game against guys who are really big, really strong, really fast, really athletic, more athletic than the Syracuse guys are. Can that battle in the trenches at least be somewhat of a tie? Odds are you're not going to win it just because you're not big enough. 
but can you make that not the deciding factor? I think for me, that's the biggest part of the game. I'd agree. And that offensive line was actually just voted as one of the watch list units for the Joe Moore award given to the nation's best offensive line. I think Michigan's a lock to win that for the second year in a row at this point. We'll see. And no bias. We get it. You're from Detroit. We understand. Um, And then defensively, you know, all summer I was writing about this. Hey, Syracuse has like no bodies, no weight on D line. And that's been really exclamated by the fact that Terry Lockett's injured and he was their biggest dude at nose tackle. But yeah, Kayvon Darton's been good. He was uh, very solid against Purdue. He beat a all big 10 lineman a couple of times in the backfield for a couple of tackles for loss. So he's shown that he's capable. He slimmed down over the offseason and former walk-on, but he's really had to take the, the load there. We'll see. I mean, at some point you just have to think it just comes down to weight. It comes down to players. It comes down to Jimmy's and Joe's. And at some point, some team is going to run all over Syracuse like Duke did in 2020 and BC did in 2019. Perhaps that's Clemson this weekend. We'll find out. I can't wait for that ma- matchup, though. Noon kickoff, ABC, Clemson uh, and Syracuse, top 15. Better for Chester, you got one more point before we move on? Yeah, one more point just to finish off the whole, like, you know, defensive front topic. JT's gear is now his starting defensive end. Yeah. It's not Steve, as, as much as we thought it was going to be Steve Linton throughout the, the spring and the summer. Steve Litton is now a situational pass rusher. Tony White realized I don't have enough size up there. Now, listen, JT is here is about 250, 255, right? He's not going to, you know, he's not breaking any, any weight records. But Steve Litton's 220. So they, they realized that on first and second down, we need a little bit more size. And that's where JT is here has come in. And I think done a pretty good job so far. He's been good. I think that 250, 255 is where he needs to be. He doesn't need to be 270, 280 because he can rush the passer. He's got speed. He's got athleticism. A lot of schools wanted him out of high school, and he had a big sack in that last game, a thunderous tackle to clinch that contest against NC State. So I think he's certainly been a guy that's helped out. And Steve Linton, too, especially on third down, he's going to be a weapon because that's the type of athlete that Clemson has. The problem is they weigh about 40 pounds heavier, and they can play on all three downs, not just one. But, uh, again, like I said, really excited for that matchup. Syracuse trying to get to 7-0. and Big one against Clemson. Really excited. We'll have full coverage on Orange Fizz, at Orange Fizz on Twitter. We'll have a post-game space. Continued pregame coverage. Our predictions are dropping Friday morning. We do those each week. You can check those out at orangefizz.net. But that's all for Syracuse and Clemson. And that's all for football. Three different topics we covered right there. Rondé Gasson, Courtney Jackson, or Isaiah Johnson, rather. Courtney Jackson is an afterthought at this point. And uh, Syracuse Clemson preview. Now we're going to switch it up for topic four. We're going to the hardwood with our reactions to the preseason poll for ACC basketball. Number four. Thanks for sticking with us. John Eads, Francesco Simone with you on this week's edition of Fizz Five. Syracuse basketball coming up. The first exhibition game next Tuesday against whatever the heck uh, Indiana University of Pennsylvania is, or is it Pennsylvania University? Of I have no idea, Francesco. Uh, what Indiana, I do know, somebody's going to be covering the game. Indiana University of Pennsylvania. Okay, there we go. Damn good uh, team. Damn I'm good not team. really sure how Pennsylvania gets into the state of Indiana or how that works, but whatever. I mean, the Crimson Hawks, I'll give them credit. John, I believe, I believe there's a town in Pennsylvania called Indiana is how wow. this works. I think this is how this works. I could be wrong. So confused. I mean, you got an IUPUI. I thought that's what this team was. Uh, but I, I don't know what the relationship is between these, but apparently there is one. But like I was saying, the Crimson Hawks have won their conference three straight years. They were a uh, Division II runner-up or semifinalist last year, one of those two. So they're a pretty solid team for Syracuse to play an exhibition. Um, who's not high on Syracuse this year, though, really is the ACC. Syracuse doing its typical thing with an eight slot in the preseason polls out of uh, 15 teams. Just always kind of seem to be middling, just an average, you know, whatever. But this year, I kind of get it, though, Francesco, because you got two starters back. And I guess you would call them starters. No, yeah, they're, they're starters. Two and a half, we'll say. Samir Torrance, Joe Girard, Jesse Edwards. Um, other than that, a lot of freshmen. So you really just have no idea if this team's going to boom, if it's going to bust. It's kind of like fantasy football. You grab a wide receiver off waivers. Yeah, they might put up 20 points the week before, but they might put up four the week you grab them, of course. You just don't really know how this team's going to end up. So I think the media just playing it safe, slotting Syracuse right in the middle. Yeah, this is why preseason polls are meaningless, because especially in college sports, when there's so much changeover, nobody has any idea, John, any idea. If you, if you say you do, you're lying to yourself and you're lying to me. Nobody has any idea how good the Syracuse basketball team is going to be. How could you? You know about Jesse Edwards. You know he's really good. I know that Joe Girard's going to be a really good two guard, one of the better ones in the ACC. After that, I, your guess is as good as mine. Is Benny Williams going to be better than he was last year? I don't know. Is Chris Bunch 
going to be the shooter everybody says he is? I don't know. Is Justin Taylor the second coming of, of, uh, of Buddy Beheim? I don't know. Hope he is. No idea. What's Samir Torrance going to do off the bench? Is Judah Mintz going to be the second coming or is he going to be another, the second coming of Benny Williams? Right? Who knows? We have absolutely no idea. So you know what? You want to put him eighth? Knock yourself out, right? You want to put him 10th? Honestly, to me, it doesn't matter where you slot them. We're not going to know about this team until February. That's when we're going to know how good this team is. It's going to be rough to start the season. It always is going to be with fresh. I actually talked to, uh, to Jerry McNamara at Basketball Media Day. He said, listen, man, it takes a long time. Like, this is not something that a switch all of a sudden flips and you're all of a sudden good. And he was talking about Carmelo Anthony, right? Not Justin Taylor. Even for Carmelo Anthony, there was an acclimation period. Even for Jerry McNamara, there was an acclimation period. So it's going to take some time. And hopefully, eventually, these guys become, go from young guys who don't know what they're doing to freshmen who are still learning, but are at least established good players at the ACC level. So until that happens, I don't care where you rank them. Because where Syracuse is right now is not where Syracuse is going to become March. I'd agree. I, I don't think they're going to be average, Francesco. I think they're going to be either very good or very bad. That's just hundred percent. You know, um, our staff member, one of our staff members, Liam Griffin attended media day as well. And he wrote an article, which you can find on orangefizz.net. And coach Beheim talked ad nauseum about how the freshmen are going to play a big role for this team. He's probably not going to do a nine, 10 man rotation because that's just not what he does, but the freshmen are going to play massive roles for this squad. You mentioned Judah Mintz, Chris Bunch, Justin Taylor, potentially Peter Carey, Malik Carr, um, Malik Brown, excuse me, sorry. Um, and with those freshmen, some of them might hit, Mince might hit, Taylor might hit, Bunch might hit, but you just don't know about some of the other guys. And you need five collective players to be playing well at all times for this team. So I think it's just really hard to say. Um, and on top of that, before we get into like ACC holistic takeaways, like where, what your reaction is to UNC Duke being one and two, Syracuse also didn't have a single player selected for the preseason All-ACC team. Not first team, not second team, not player of the year, obviously, not rookie of the year, not a single one. Not even Judah Mintz made his way out of that list. So are you concerned at all with the fact that Jesse Edwards isn't there, Joe Girard isn't there, and then some of these top-tier freshmen didn't make this list either? Not concerned because, like, who cares, right? Like, this is people voting on it, and not to disparage the people, Ouch. you know, who are choosing it, but it's, it's like, you know – they don't think that Jesse Edwards is the second best center in the ACC. Or was it, it was either what, him or PJ? Was, was it PJ Hall that got the second team center? Is that who it was? Yeah, I think uh, it was. They yep. got first team 100%. Yep, it was. PJ. I think it was PJ Hall who got second team center. PJ Hall's a really good player, right? So is Jesse Edwards. Could Jesse Edwards be better than PJ Hall? That's sure, absolutely he can, right? PJ Hall's not, you know, he's not Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Jesse Edwards can be better than him this year. Now, if he's not, if he's like a smidge worse, is that going to sink Syracuse's season? No, I don't think it is. Like, is Joe Girard not the second best two guard in the ACC? Okay, maybe he's three, maybe he's four. As long as those two guys are good, I, whether they make the all-ACC team or not is kind of semantics to me, especially from a preseason standpoint. And obviously, you're not going to put any of the freshmen on the all-ACC team, at least not the ones that Syracuse has. So, it, to me, the predictions really they mean completely like nothing. Nothing whatsoever, because you, you cannot tell me you have any idea how good Judah Mintz is at the collegiate level, or Chris Bunch, or Malik Brown, or Peter Carey, or Justin Taylor, or Quadir Copeland. You have no idea. You don't even know how good Joe Girard is as a two-guard. We've seen glimpses of it in the Duke game to end the season last year, that you know what? He can maybe be, uh, maybe be pretty good. We don't know that. All we know is Jesse Edwards is a really good player. Is he not the second-best center in the ACC? Oh. Okay, he's close. Predictions right. to me for this Syracuse basketball team, fools errant. You have no idea. Watch and see what happens. Because if you try to make predictions, you got a pretty good chance of looking stupid. Well, I want you to put yourself in your February shoes here, Francesco. I know you're probably be wearing boots around then and probably a winter coat too, especially where we are right now. Where do you think Syracuse will be? when we're getting closer and closer to the ACC tournament and the NCAA tournament? Are they above the eight slot? at the eight slot, which I think we both agree they won't be there, or are they well below that eight slot? If I had to pick one, I put you them do. above. I, I put right them now. above. Okay. I would put them above. Now, listen, do I think they're going to be as good as North Carolina or Duke? No, I don't. Do I think they can be like the sixth best team in the ACC or the fifth best team in the ACC? Yes, I do. 
because they got guys. Like, unlike last season, this team's got guys. Chris Bunch is a guy. Like, just look, just looking at him, right? Just yeah. looking at him and knowing his background, the background that he can shoot, long, athletic, physical. He's a guy. He looks like a guy, at least. Justin Taylor, I don't know if you ever stood next to him, Jeeds. He I is yoked. Yeah. He is yoked, man. Like, almost as much as you are. It's ridiculous. He is yoked. And he's a great shooter, too, from everything you, from everything you hear. He's yeah. a really good kid, too. That's really something that impressed me, actually, just talking to these guys at Media Day. They're all really good people. Like, they all seem like they really, like, genuinely get along with each other, mm -hmm. and they really mesh with each other. You combine that, you got the veteran leadership of Simon Torrance. You got Joe Girard. You got Jesse Edwards. You combine all that with some really, really talented, raw, yes, but really talented players with a coaching staff who, listen, you can say all you want about Jim Beheim. Jim Beheim, there are not 10 coaches in the country I would take over Jim Beheim for this season. Mm -hmm. What he did against Duke, without his best player, yeah. they have a practice the night before, implement a completely new defense that they hadn't practiced all season. If you can do that as a head coach, I don't care what anybody says, you are unbelievable at your job. You combine that with the talent that they have. It's a lottery ticket. I understand that. But if I'm taking a lottery ticket, I'm taking it on these guys because I think they got the talent. I think they got the leadership. They have the coaching. And I think they even have the cohesiveness already. And the season hasn't, hasn't even begun yet. I guess what I want to see, and I know I watched that Duke game, and I know that they schemed up for that like crazy, is if they can bring that same intensity and effort to every game they play, not just when your season's on the line. It didn't really feel like that at times last year. But I agree, I agree with you. I think this team has the potential, and I think they will finish above eight, even inside maybe that top six mark, because they have more athletic players than they did last year. And Coach Bayon said it's not that hard to teach the zone. Guys can learn the zone within two, three weeks, right, if they continue to work at it and really pay attention and practice. And these guys have been working on it for a long time. I know it's going to be a freshman-heavy team, and there's going to be a bit of a learning curve. But I think this defense is in better position to perform this year than it has in past years. They've had weaknesses. I don't think Jimmy Bayheim was a great fit for the zone. Yeah, his dad coaches it, but he wasn't a good athletic fit for it. A couple of years ago, Alan Griffin, I don't think was a great fit for the zone. Yeah, he was a good athlete, but he really struggled with assignments at times. I think from a one to five perspective, the zone's going to be excellent this year. And then an offense, you just have to be good enough. And I think they have guys like Chris Bunch, like Justin Taylor, like Judah Mitz, and Joe Girard being at the two. And Edwards really picked it up last year, who could score offensively. So I really think this team has a chance to surprise, and they will. Yeah, John, one question for you. And something I think I think is going to be the biggest storyline going into this season is Jim Beheim saying we're not going to play exclusively zone, right? We're going to mix in that man-to-man -man defense. I want to ask you this. How important do you think that is? Because from a, a matchup standpoint, from a schematic standpoint, now the other team has to say, okay, we got plays for the zone, but now we also have to prepare for this other wrinkle. And it's two different things. That it's not, I don't think it's going to be very easy for an opposing coach to scheme against. I'd agree. And playing man-to-man -man can lead to more opportunities and fast break. And that's really where Syracuse had a lot of its success in recent years. It's when the Orange force a turnover, they get numbers down the court, and Buddy Beheim just finds an open spot and triggers a three, or Jimmy Beheim hits a three, or Joe Girard gets open for a three. So I think having that versatility is going to really change things up. And it gave Duke a lot of fits. So now when you go into a game where you have a decided personnel disadvantage, a decided experience disadvantage, and a decided talent disadvantage, you give yourself a chance because of the X's and O's to be in this game. You can play the zone. You can play man-to-man. -man. I think Syracuse has the athletes to perform both at a very high clip. Now it's just about communicating, knowing when to, when's the right time to switch up those defenses, who, who needs to be in what spots to perform this defense well. Those are the two biggest things. But I don't think it's going to be a harm. It can only uh, be a help for this Syracuse defense if they can play the zone and man-to-man -man this season. Yeah, and just the last thing to, to finish off this basketball topic with, I think it's going to be really interesting who they decide to play at the three. Because it's either Chris Bunch or Justin Taylor. Yeah. And they're actually kind of similar players in, in terms of what they do offensively. They're both kind of known as shooters. But defensively, it's a little bit of a different philosophy. You have the length of a bunch versus the size and physicality of a Justin Taylor. I think which guy they choose there is really going to tell you a lot about what kind of team they want to be. I'd agree. And I'm really excited to see where they go with that. They may not really solidify a number three until the latter portions of the non-conference uh, slate, because they have so many kind of easy games coming up. They've got that 
uh, classic in Brooklyn where they're going to play a couple of talented squads. But once ACC play rolls around, I think that's when they'll solidify that starting five spot. But the thing with freshmen is they might be good one game. Like Benny Williams was good against Duke in that home game when SU got blown out. But then he was Benny Williams in the other games, and he just kind of disappeared. So you want to see consistency. We'll start to see that, I think, towards the end of non-conference play. But we're going to have a whole lot more basketball coverage coming up because the season really kicks off, I guess you could say, next week on Tuesday with the exhibitions. And the season opener is coming up, I think, on November 7th, if I'm not mistaken, against Lehigh. That's right. Couple of weeks coming up. We've got plenty of coverage at orangefizz.net at orangefizz on Twitter. And I'm sure the guys who are on for Fizz Five next week will dive more into that. But we're going to take a break from basketball and football and finish up with some lacrosse talk because Syracuse has an incoming freshman class that's already actually on campus. And uh, let's draw some headlines. Let's get into that for topic number five. Number five. All right, let's finish strong, Francesco, and talk a little bit of lax. Obviously, uh, kind of like Syracuse men's basketball, a bit of a, you know, uh, soft subject, I guess you could say, around the 315 coming off their worst season ever, or at least in decades, just like the men's basketball team. But there's a little bit of hype around this squad this year because they brought in a freshman class that has the most top 100 recruits in the ACC. And, you know, you and I were kind of talking about this before we got on the air. How much of that do you attribute to Coach Desco? How much of that do you attribute to Coach Gate? You're really going to be seeing a lot of Syracuse men's across this spring. Um, and, uh, you know, the team is really looking for a bounce back here under coach gate. I want to know from you, what your perspective of the program is right now. Last year, obviously not a lot of belief that you could draw from this team and from coach gate, obviously the losing season, where are you at with coach gate? Where are you at with this program, especially considering how well they've recruited in the small sample size? I think for me last year was a scholarship year for Gary gate. It was get rid of the mess that Desco left you get through the season, send the seniors off in the best way you can, and then get ready for this year, which is where it really the building process really begins. John Desco, in his final recruiting class, John, had two top 100 recruits, Borges and Rice, number 89 and number 99. For Syracuse men's lacrosse, this is supposed to be Alabama football. It's supposed to be Duke basketball. You had two top 100 recruits, and they were both in the bottom 11. It's not great, right? The cupboards were not filled. But now, thanks to a little bit, thanks to John Desco, who began this process in the fall of 2020, and Gary Gato finished it off, you have a cornucopia of talent coming in. Now, they're not all going to step in and be key contributors right away. Joey Spelina, you would certainly imagine, will, right? And even, I'm very much hopeful that Finn Thompson, at least as a second-line attackman, will as well. But you've got a lot of guys. Much like the men's basketball team, you got a lot of guys who were really, really talented. That's at least step number one. So the big headliners uh, in that class, which could really get this rebuild going, and I guess not necessarily a rebuild, but a reload going for Syracuse men's lacrosse. You mentioned Joey Spelina. He's the headliner for this recruiting class, the top recruit in this Power 100. And this is all according to Inside Lacrosse, uh, in case you guys weren't aware. But Syracuse has 10 selections inside the top 100. The next best ACC team had seven. And it's really interesting and really intriguing, Francesco, because we talked about how bad last season was. These guys are coming in. You know about Syracuse lacrosse from a historical perspective, how good they used to be uh, a decade ago, even you know earlier in uh, the 2010s decade when they won the ACC a couple of years ago. Um, they're really jumping on the bandwagon, jumping on the gate bandwagon here with little evidence or belief that this program is actually going to go somewhere. And I think that really says something. I mean, yeah, when you, when you have the, the Michael Jordan of lacrosse, right, the guy who everybody thinks is the greatest of all time, it, it adds instant credibility. And why wouldn't it, right? If you're a basketball player who's 18 years old going to decide what college you're going to play for, why would you not want to play for Michael Jordan, right? That seems like it'd be cool, doesn't it? Then you also add on top of it the whole gate lacrosse brand. Right. You know, you score a couple goals, you make a couple of assists, make a couple of saves. Who knows? Maybe you get a contract your way. That's, you know, something they don't want to talk about, but it's certainly something yeah, that exists true. in, this, in yeah. this day and age of NIL. So there's Gary Gate. We're going to see how he is from an X's and O standpoint, right? And that's going to develop as he gets more used to the men's college game of today. I have no doubt about that. We're going to see, we're going to see about that part. But the other part of the name, the program, uh, what, what word am I looking for? Not cliche, cachet. There we go. That's uh, easy for me to say. The program cachet uh, that he brings just by his name, just with his name, being Gary Gabe, being the best player who ever played the game and doing it at Syracuse. 
that brings a lot of credibility to the program. And then you add on top of it, you know, the NIL opportunities, Joey Spillane has already taken advantage of that. I'm sure he's not going to be the last one. Yeah. There's a lot around Gary Gate, around the program that you should like, whether you're a fan, whether you're a recruit, whether you're, you know, in the media, whatever the case may be. Now it's about taking the benefits of that, i.e. some really, really good young players, developing a scheme with your, your assistant coaches and turning that, that hope that idea of something that can be really good into something that on the field is actually really good. Now, is that going to happen overnight? Are they going to go from, you know, a double digit loss season to national champions in one year? No, right. Probably not. Unless this freshman class is the greatest the sport has ever seen. Yeah. And and even then it'd be pretty tough. Right. Mm -hmm. So while that might not be the case, this is step one in you call it a rebuild, you call it a retool, whatever. Step one in that process to eventually, when these guys are sophomores, juniors, seniors, you can try to get back to that mountaintop. We all expected Gary Gates to be a good recruiter. He's taking care of it from that perspective so far, I would say, and the opportunities he's been given, the limited opportunities he's been given. Now, what can you do on the field? A lot of alums have come back to practice this fall and in the summer and said, hey, this freshman class is for real. It's the best one they've seen in a while. Um, famous alums of the program have been saying these things. So now we'll see what they can do on the field. It's going to be a little bit while it's going to be a little while though. I mean, the season doesn't start till February, March. So uh, we'll just have to wait and see until then. But for right now, the squad's participating in exhibition games, just doing a little bit of fall ball, getting ready for the season. But Hey, we just want to let you guys know this freshman class is unreal. And this circus lacrosse program could be back in the next couple of years, maybe even this year, if uh, the freshman class turns out like Francesco said, that's all the time we have. For this week's edition of Fizz 5, thanks so much for tuning in. Again, you can find our stuff at orangefizz.net, at orangefizz on Twitter. Syracuse and Clemson, top 15 battle going down on Saturday. We hope you guys can join us for our coverage at Orange Fizz, and we'll have a post-game space as well you can find on that channel. But uh, other than that, we'll be back next week with another edition of Fizz 5. But for Francesco Simone, I've been John Eads. Thanks so much for tuning in. We'll talk to you guys soon. Have a great weekend, and enjoy the game this Saturday. Go Orange. Take care. And that's your Fizz 5. Listen next week. Subscribe, rate, and review. This has been an Orange Fizz production.